0: I want to welcome you all back again for our 23rd installment in our series. Uh, did anyone notice a break in the weather? Uh, it seems like we got a little bit of relief today, and we're thankful for that. But, you know, even the crazy weather that, that we are now experiencing really is an indicator that things in our world are just really unraveling. Isn't that true? And uh, more than ever, we need to be drawing closer to the Lord and I'm so thankful that we have this opportunity to be studying this series, and uh, not only for ourselves, but to share with others. And that's really what we're going to be talking about this evening. But before I, I dive into that, uh, let's once again, as far as possible, uh, approach the throne of grace. Let, let's kneel. Oh, Father, thank you again so very much for your prophetic word that gives to us the framework by which we can understand the unfolding events all around us. We thank you for the the sanctuary message that helps us to understand and come into contact with a God that loves us, has made provision for us, for which we are so grateful. Lord, we gather together again this evening to open your word and study. So, once more, we ask for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We ask you to be our teacher. We pray, Father, that it'll be your words that are heard and that the speaker will be hid behind the cross. Thank you again for all you do, and may each hear tonight what they need to hear. But we ask it all in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. and amen. <clears throat> Last night, we contemplated what it means to be living in a time when the day of atonement is, is, is unfolding and really drawing to a close in the heavenly sanctuary. And in that study, we learned that for those who are awaiting the second coming of Christ, that, that knowing the hour in which we live uh, is really a call to holy living. Why? Because we're getting ready to go home. And so we study the Word of God to know what life up there is going to be like so that we can start living it here. Because heaven is our home. Isn't that true? Yeah, absolutely. Heaven is our home. And in the sanctuary, we have been studying about the good news. And that good news is that God really does love me. God knows about me, God cares about me, God has made provision for me, God has, has uh, made available to, me, available to me all the resources of heaven, not only to forgive me, but to also to transform my life. And this knowledge, my friends, we have to share with the world. I am so thankful that God pulled me out of the gutter of the city of L.A. to teach me about himself, And then called me into a ministry to share others. And of course, the world is a big place. And so how are we going to do it? We're going to discover that in the sanctuary, God has actually provided for us a model on how to get the gospel to the world. And we're going to be studying that this evening. So does everybody have a handout? If you don't, raise your hand. Nice and high. If you don't have one, so Ellen will get it to you. I see no hands in the air. There's one hand in the back. Oh, okay, <laughs> Rand has it, <laughs> okay, uh, and he will get it to you. So I see no hands up in the air. Well, let's get started because right now is a time for sharing, a time for witnessing. And let's look at, take a look at question number one, and let's dive into our study and learn the plan that God has for us using the sanctuary plan sharing the message with the world. Question number 1. What did Jesus say must happen before the end shall come? Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in what? All the, world. All the world, and then the end will come. You know, this text is telling me that God is waiting. He's waiting for his church to share the good news that God has found an answer to the sin problem with the world. You know, it's funny, I run into people who say to me, I don't know how to witness. And that's really not true. Because if, if a friend of yours has a plumbing problem and you know a good plumber who fixed your plumbing at one point in your life, what are you gonna do? You're gonna share what your plumber friend did for you and give him the number to call the plumber. Isn't that true? Did you have to go to a special school to learn how to do that? No. And the fact is, if Jesus has done anything for you, you are qualified to share with others what he has done for you. Isn't that true? We're just beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. So we're, we all know how to witness... But this is a call to do so. And you know, really in the sanctuary, and I, I you know, when, when people introduce me and in, in when I present on the sanctuary and they introduce me as being an expert, I stop them and I tell them, I am not an expert. I don't I do not have an exhaustive knowledge of the sanctuary. What I have is the kindergarten. It's the basics. But now you have that as well to share with others, to teach them how to have a walk with Christ. And what we're going to find is if we're going to be able to do this and share it with others, we need to band together. So important. Let's continue. Question number two. <clears throat> what were the last words that Jesus spoke as he ascended into heaven? Acts 1.8 But you shall receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be what? Witnesses. You know, my friends, um, I I have learned that what really makes our witness effective is not how articulate you are or how clever you are, but how filled you are. That's what makes the difference, is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And, you know, somebody comes to me and says, well, how do you get filled? By yielding your life to Him, by surrendering. I want to be filled more. Surrender more. The more you yield, the more you're filled. That's how it works. And, uh, and it's amazing to me how smart God can make you look when you're willing to let Him use you. I want to show you a text that really encourages me when it comes to witnessing. If you have your Bibles with you, Open to the book of Luke, chapter 21. Luke chapter 21. And you know, as I'm turning these pages, as we're about to read this, I want you to remember this text, this promise, because I, I believe we're going we're gonna to need this promise sooner than we think. And I'm not just referring to witnessing to people at the workplace or at the grocery store or at the gas station. I mean, we are getting ready to face some real difficult times. But God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. I want you to look at this promise uh, that God he saw the challenges his disciples were going to go through. And it's, and it's not just relevant to them, it's relevant to us. And it's not just in the difficulties that's coming, but in the everyday, these principles apply. Um, let me back up here. Let's pick up... Verse 12. But before all these things, Jesus shared some of the signs... Uh, that would take place uh, in reference to his coming. He says, but but before all these things, they will uh, lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you'll be brought before kings and rulers for what? For my sake. So, you know, ultimately, God is in control. Please don't forget that. And if God needs somebody to witness to the king, he might just have you arrested so you'll go over there and witness to him. Are you with me? I mean, otherwise, you probably wouldn't get an audience chamber with the king, an audience. Now, look at verse 13, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Isn't that cool? God is in control. But here's the promise right here, 14 and 15. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth and a wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or to resist. Now for that to happen, you and I must be spending time in God's word each day. God can't pull out what we haven't put in. But he has promised that if we spend time in his word, and I know folks that spend time memorizing it, and uh, I, I, I should be spending more time than I have been. But God has promised to bring that all back. In John 14, 26, said so that God will bring to our remembrance the things he has taught us. He will promise. So, <clears throat> so when opportunities to witness come, don't back away. Many times people are afraid, well, what if they ask me a question that I don't know? You know, how many here in this room has at least read through the Bible one time? All right, you know more of the Bible than the vast majority of the people out there. They're not going to be asking you a whole lot of questions and stuff because they don't know enough to ask. But you know, but there's nothing wrong if somebody asks us a question and we don't know the answer. There's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing shameful about that. You just honestly say, you know... I hadn't thought of, that's a good question. I'll come back and I'll bring it to you. But you know, many times what I have found in my own experience is that I begin uh, uh, answering someone's question, God starts providing me answers that I did not know before the question was asked. Has anyone else had that experience where things just start pulling together right in your head and you're like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And you're able to answer the question. Um, When I first gave my life to the Lord as a young man, I was... In my, in, in my 20s, um, I went to visit my, my Uncle Leo, real neat man. And Uncle Leo had a friend, really unique fellow. Uh, his name was Jack Green. And Jack Green was a friend of the family, and I had known him since I was a boy, growing up. And now I'm a young man, and I went to see Uncle Leo, and Jack Green came. Jack, Jack Green had heard about my conversion, he wanted to talk to me. Jack Green was an atheist, and uh, Jack was an intellectual. He would speak at universities, real interesting man. Uh, he fought in World War II. He was a major in the Army uh, Air Corps. He was a wing commander of B-17 bombers and commanded 44 B-17s, would tell us stories there of World War II. And uh, I remember one story. He said he left with 44 uh, bombers and returned with 14 And um, he also ended up being an attache for Eleanor Roosevelt, really fascinating man. Uh, And uh, he was one of these guys that can just smart you right under the table. I mean, he was always cool, calm, and collected, always had a real pleasant smile on his face. Anyway, so on this particular day, he showed up, and he said to me, George, I understand you uh, have become a Christian. I'd like to talk with you. And I thought, oh, boy. And um, so we went into a sunroom, <clears throat> invited me to sit down, and he sat down. And the whole time I'm praying in my mind, and I'm saying, Lord, you know, this guy has more brain cells in his pinky than I have in my whole body. And I said, And he could really, really, really make me look bad and nothing flat, and your honor is at stake. I said, Not only that, but he's a lost man. So I'm going to sit tight, and I'm just going to trust you're going to take care of this. And so this, uh, we had a, a, a long conversation, it's really interesting. And I, he would ask me questions, and I would answer them, or I would ask him questions. And God was giving me thoughts. And as I'm asking him questions, I'm watching this man, who I've always known to be so calm, cool, and collected, it started to squirm. I don't know what was going on in his head, but I, I do know that he was doing battle with the Holy Spirit. This guy was coming under conviction. And for the first time in my life, I watched this man lose his cool. The whole time, I'm calm, all I'm doing is asking questions. <laughs> And I was really surprised to see his reaction, but he was coming under conviction. He was wrestling it out, not with me. It was like there was someone else in the room that he was duking it out with. When you ask God for wisdom and words, and you're there for His honor, my friends, you and I, this is no time to be cowards. We can't be worried about ourselves. We got to be worried about others and the honor of God. Does that make sense? And not to be afraid of what people will think of us. We need to be more concerned about what God is gonna think of us if we shrink. Does that make sense? And if we don't do this work, who's gonna do it? It is to us that God has revealed these beautiful, incredible truths to. It is God who has given us the peace, the hope, and the blessings we received our whole life. It would be a sin to keep it to ourselves. Isn't that true? We have a responsibility. And in our opening text, we learn that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached to all the world as a witness. Then the end will come. God is waiting on us to share the good news that God loves us and has provided a way for us. So very, very important. Let's look at our next text, Matthew 28, 19. Here's the command. Go, therefore, and, uh, and make disciples of how many nations? I want to ask you a question. How many races are there in our world? Does anybody know? It's an easy answer, friends. There's only one. The human race. We're all a family. All of us. Every one of us. You get the DNA and you drive it all the way back into time. We all end up with the same mom and dad. Everyone needs to hear this. Everyone has a right to know that God loves them and has provided for them a way of escape from sin and has promised his transforming power to change them and prepare them for heaven. Um, What we're going to look at here is that God actually has a model on how to get this work done, and that model is found in the sanctuary. God has a plan on how to finance his work. You know, like right now, uh, there's a place, uh, if, if, if you do the, the parallels and, and, and latitudes and whatnot um, of our planet, 1040 window there in Asia, where there are over 2.2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus, you know, and, uh, and I, you know, so and I, and, and I think a number of you as well, are helping to finance missionaries that are over there, but once they get there, their work is focusing on reaching souls. Somebody needs to be back home helping to finance that work, isn't that true? so that they can do that and i know that a number of you are doing that. Let's take a look at God's plan to get this done. How was God's work in the sanctuary supported? And so what we're going to find is that the plan that God used to support his ministry in the Old Testament is the model for the new. Malachi 3:10 Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that they may be food where in my house. Uh, Israel was an agricultural society, and if you recall that when Canaan was conquered, God divided the land amongst the 12 tribes. You remember that? Each one had their own allocated property where they can farm and, and, uh, and conquer the land, if you will, and, um, and, and live. But the Levites were not given uh, property, land, inheritance. Their inheritance was actually God and his sanctuary service. That was their inheritance. and what helped to finance the work that the Levites were doing because their job was to uh, teach the people about God and his plan to save humanity. And their job actually was to share that with the surrounding nations, what they had learned. Does this sound familiar? Very similar plan. And so what God did is... Um, he required of Israel to return a tithe, which means a tenth of their, of their produce, uh, and to bring it to the sanctuary. And, and that's actually how the, 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 the Levites were able to feed their families. Does this make sense? That's how they did it. It's a very simple plan. So they, the Levites, didn't have to work out in the fields and in the sanctuary. There wouldn't have been enough time to do both. So they were able to devote themselves to the sanctuary While the people brought food to keep them going. Does that make sense? Very simple, simple plan. Take a look at number four. Is the tithing system part of uh, Moses' ceremonial law which ended at the cross? Genesis 14, 18, and 20 says... Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, was the priest of God Most High, and he gave him him in this story. And he, rather, is Abraham, gave to him Melchizedek a, a tithe of all. This is an interesting story. Uh, this is a story of when Lot got into deep trouble there, living in Sodom, or living in Sodom and Gomorrah, that region in the plains. And there was a coalition of four kings that attacked the kings of the plains, the five kings, and took 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 them all captive. And Abraham, if you remember the story, went on a rescue mission to to rescue Lot and ended up rescuing uh, the the people of those five kings that had been taken captive. And those kings said to Abraham, hey, look, you take all of the booty, uh, the spoils, you earned it, you saved us, we just give us the people, we'll go home. And Abraham said, you know, I really don't want your money because then people are going to say that you made me rich and you didn't, God did. However, I will take 10% and give it to Melchizedek, who is a recognized priest of God. So why is the story significant? Uh, first of all, Melchizedek was not a Levite. The fact is, there was no Levitical priesthood. There were no Jews at this time. Jews are descendants of Judah, if you remember. And and so, so what this is saying is that even before the sanctuary service was in place the tithing system was already in place. Does that make sense? It was already in place. That's the Bible record, and that's not the only record we have. Genesis 28, uh, verse 20 and 22, we find Jacob, who is the grandson of Abraham. He also understood this. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going, of all that you give me, I will surely give a what? A tent to you. So we can see that the tithing system was already in place long before the ceremonial system and the sanctuary was in place. Before there even was uh, uh, the 12 sons of, of, of Jacob, actually. That is very, very critical. Let's take a look now at question number five. Is that where we are? Yeah. Did Jesus condemn the tithing system? So... Let's take a look how the Lord responds to this and we're going to find that not only did he not condemn and he actually endorsed it. Matthew 23:23 23, 23, Woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faith these you ought to have done without leaving the others what yeah, without leaving it undone. So Jesus is not condemning. What's happening here is that these guys were such sticklers that they were tithing seeds. And, 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 and yet, they claim to be holy for doing that, but they treated other people like dirt. And Jesus is saying, you know, basically, you know the tithing thing? That's okay, keep doing that. But treat people nice. Don't be a hypocrite. Do you you see what I'm saying? That's actually what's happening here. Jesus was not condemning the tithing system. He told them, hey, these you ought to have done. Let's take a look at number six. How does the Apostle Paul say the New Testament ministry is to be supported? This is really, really significant. Watch what Paul does here. Uh, A true uh, Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin, who was... uh, a Pharisee, and the evidence is he was a member of the Sanhedrin, certainly worked for them. Watch what he says here after giving his life to Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, 13, and 14. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? He's talking about the temple priests. And those who serve at the altar partake of the offering of the altar? Even so, another way of saying that, just as, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from what? The gospel. So Paul is making a bridge here. He says, as the ministry was financed, we would say today in the Old Testament, the sanctuary services, that is how the ministry is to be financed in the Christian era. Does that make sense? Paul makes that very clear, very succinct. Let's look at the note um, underneath uh, Number six, Paul indicates that just as the Old Testament priests were supported by the temple, so God has ordained that the New Testament ministry be supported in the same way as the Old Testament sanctuary ministry. The Old Testament sanctuary ministry was supported, by, supported exclusively from the tithe. Likewise, tithe is to be used for the support of the ministry in New Testament Times And by the way, this this is the way the Seventh-day Adventist church works. When someone returns tithe to the Seventh-day Adventist church, the local church treasurer remits all the tithe to the local conference. The local conference supports the gospel ministry in the conference. The local church does not pay the pastor. All pastors receive the same basic salary regardless of the size of the church. In this way, large churches help the small churches and pastors do not move to large churches to get larger salaries. The local conference, in turn, sends the nearly 40% of its tithe to the union conference and the general conference in order to support the ministry of the gospel around the world. Thus, the local individual church member who returns his tithe supports the worldwide ministry of the church. Isn't that amazing? It's a beautiful system. It's a very simple system. It's a biblical system. When the individual returns the tithe, their tithe uh, at church, the church treasurer then sends it to the local conference, which here, which here is the Upper Columbia Conference. That then they, in turn, pay the pastors and teachers in that conference. So the local church does not pay the salary of the pastor. It's the conference that does. And there's, there's, a, there's a lot of wisdom in that, by the way. And we mentioned one thing here, and that is, uh, in, in many other denominations, the larger the church, the higher the salary. So if you're a talented pastor and you're in a small church, what's the temptation? To go to the larger one, isn't that right? Especially if you have a family or have kids in college, that's gonna be the temptation. But in the Adventist church, All pastors get paid the same. There is a cost of living adjustment depending because if you're pastoring in Arkansas, your cost of living is going to be a lot different than someone living in New York City, a pastor pastoring out there. Are you with me? By the way, I can, well, let me not get into that. But uh, in any case, uh, the other is, you know, there comes a time when the pastor has to shoot straight. Hopefully it's every Sabbath, right? But I mean, there comes a times when you're, you're, you have to deal on some pretty sensitive subjects. I refer to that as family counsel. <laughs> and, and if his salary is uh, given to him by the local church, there is the possibility that next month's paycheck may not be as high as it was the previous month's. Are you with me? And that might affect the pastor who has kids in college or what have you. He might think, oh, maybe I don't have to say it quite like that. You know what I'm saying? So it really does away with that. and allows the pa- This system allows the pastor to speak freely and allows the pastor to put food on the table for his family, whether he has a little church or a big church. Does this make sense? Something else, too, and that has to do with the pastor's job. And I just touched a little bit on it right here. You know, I remember... Um, going into a church and it was a church that I was asked to pastor and um, and it had been neglected for quite some time Um, and after being there a number of the leaders took me aside (laughs) I thought I was going to get ambushed and they said to me pastor what are you going to do to grow this to, to grow this church And I said, okay. I said, um, do you know anything about sheep? And they looked at me kind of funny. And they said, well, yeah, a little bit, I guess. They said, "Uh, good. Do you know what produces sheep? And they said, sheep? Yep, sheep produce sheep. I said, shepherds don't produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. Shepherds feed the flock. They protect the flock. They guide the flock, but they don't produce flock. Sheep produce sheep. The pastor's job is to teach and train. The pastor's job is to set an example for the congregation, but the congregation has to go to work. Does that make sense? And, um, and they got that. Well, anyway, and so the conference then pays the, the pastors, the local pastors. Then they also support schools in that conference, and then a percentage of that money goes on to the union. The union does, supports and, and guides the work taking place in the conferences, and, a percent, and, and also the colleges. And then a percentage is sent on to the general conference, which supports the world church, the work going around the world. You know, there are a lot of conferences out there that are very poor. Uh, places in third world countries where, you know, the, the local church members... They don't have cash. They might bring a potato or some of their crops or something. Uh, And so the tithing from the people of God supports the work taking place around the world. How do you like to be part of something like that? Something bigger than yourself, something huge. I love this system. And the system is so simple, but it is so brilliant. And that's because it comes from God. You know, I have friends in other denominations, bless their hearts. Uh, They don't get enough, uh, uh, you know, it's a local church that that pays them, and they're not making enough, so they're having to have another job. But they can't devote themselves to the gospel work, and it hampers what they are doing. So God's method is brilliant. How much of, of what we have belongs to God? Matthew 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's, and what? all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. And you know, sometimes we have a problem with that idea. (laughs) No, it's mine. No, it's God's. It is God's. Everything belongs to God. If God took everything back, how much would we have left? (laughs) Nothing. Number eight. How important is it for Christians to return the tithe to God? This is a real uh, powerful verse here, and it's a very sobering one. Um, Malachi 3, 8, and 9 says, Will a man, what's the next word? Rob God, yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me. So when we, with, you know, everything belongs to God, but when God, God tests us, He, he asks for a, t- a tenth of it back to test our loyalty to Him. He asks for a tenth back. And if we withhold it, he calls that thievery. He calls it thievery. I mean, suppose uh, I gave money to um, Rand, and I asked Rand to, to, to give it to Susan at the church, and he decided not to do it. He decided to keep the money himself. What would we call that? Stealing. Isn't that true? And that's what God calls it. He puts it in our pockets and says, I want that to go to the church. It's, it's not for us. Well, I don't like the pastor. He didn't dress right this, this weekend, and so I'm not returning the money. Yes, that's not a, it's, not a, it's, it's none of my business. He told me where that money's supposed to go, and my job is to put it there, whether I like the way the pastor dressed or not. Are you with me? He's testing our loyalty to him. I refer to it as a Christian's minimum mm. Commitment. I want to ask you a question. Do you think practicing thieves are going to be going to heaven? No. No, it's a lack of faith is what that is. And not only that, but it withholds God's blessings from us. God wants to bless us, but he can't, pract- he can't bless thievery. Let's take a look at question number nine. What test did Adam and Eve fail that, mu- that we must pass if we expect to inherit God's kingdom? Genesis 3.3. 3. But the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall what? Not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you what? Lest you die. And so God had told Adam and Eve, look, everything's yours. and Just this one thing, I don't, that one's not yours. Leave that one alone. And Adam and Eve went to the one thing that wasn't theirs, that's thievery. So God says, I've given you all these blessings, but I'm asking for 10% back. And uh, I, I like to correct people, and I hope they correct me when I mess up. We don't pay God tithe. We return tithe. There's a big difference. It was never mine in the first place. I return what was rightfully His very, very important. Um, when I was pastoring in Kansas, a precious friend of mine named Angel uh, called me because she had a financial dilemma. And uh, Angel was teaching uh, and was, had a two-bedroom apartment and one was, if I remember the, exactly what the dilemma was, I'm pretty sure this is what it was. She had, um, her roommate had left, and so she couldn't split the cost for the, um, the rent, and rent was due. And uh, I kind of, I, I want to say she was $160, I think it was like $164 short for, of her rent, So she calls me, her pastor friend, and says, George, I have a problem. The rent is due. I don't have the money, and I have my tithe in the house. Can I use the tithe to pay that money? I said, sweetheart, get the tithe, put it in an envelope, write the church's address on it, and get it out of your house. You're being tempted. That's not your money. Get it out of there. And trust the Lord to take care of your deal, but don't take his money. So she was hesitant, <laughs> she didn't really like what I was telling her. And so she did it, she wrote the address, and she put it um, in, the, in the envelope, and then went out to the mailbox that she was going to go to school that day, and put it in there, closed the thing, and put the little flag up, and then reluctantly walked to her car, and went to school and taught. Came back, the flag was down. She still went over the to check though. <laughs> She opened it. There was another envelope in there from the insurance company. She was like, great, a bill. Here I was hoping there would be money. She walks in the house. And I get this phone call, and uh, she says to me, you're not even going to believe what just happened to me. And I said, what happened to you? I said, I saw the insurance letter, and I just knew it was a bill. I opened it up, and they told me I had overpaid them $165. There was a check for $165. $165. God has a thousand ways of providing for us of which we know nothing. I can stand here up front and tell you stories all day of God's faithfulness. You know, I run into people who say, listen, pastor, I can't afford to return tithe. And I say to them, sister, if what you're saying is true, you can't afford not to. No, God is faithful. We cannot outgive God. God is testing our loyalty. He wants to know how much it is we really love him and trust him. And not only that, he wants to finance his work. Let's take a look at question number 10. In addition to my tithe, which belongs to God, what else? Uh, And before I go any further, I want to stop right here. Oh, no, I'm going to hit it down here. Okay, let's do this. It's okay. Number 10. In addition to my tithe, which belongs to God, what else does he ask of his people? Psalms 96 verse 8 says, give to the Lord the glory to his name. Bring a what? an offering and come into his court. So then Malachi 3.8, Will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me, but you say in what way have we robbed you in tithes and, and offerings? So tithes and offerings are different. Tithes are used specifically for paying for ministry. But offerings uh, are, are the work that the church does. That's what pays for the air conditioning. That's what pays for lights. In fact, it, was, it wasn't tithe money that they used to build the tabernacle. They were free will offerings. That's what was used to build the tabernacle. And, and the difference between um, tithes and offerings is that tithe is a percentage of your profit. Does that make sense? I want to specify that. Temp- if you have a business, you know what I'm referring to. It's 10% of your profit from your business. That's what it's about. But offering is free will. It's whatever you want. It's, you know, whatever you're, you, you, it's an expression of gratitude and love towards God. And so God doesn't specify amount. He just leaves it to you. And I think of the story of the rich young, uh, no, of the, widow's, the widow uh, in the temple who gave the widow's mite, which is equivalent to maybe two pennies. And it's really odd, it really touches me that day that God, Jesus was standing there in the temple watching people return money into the into the church treasury and there were guys that were walking in, you know, I'm sure with their bucket full of gold and they were like, oh, oh was that a hundred dollar bill that fell? Oh, I am sorry. Oh, yes, let's put that. You know, and it was really all for show, but they were laying down all kinds of cash. And, <clears throat> and the widow was in the shadow because her, what she was giving was so little, but it was out of a heart of love and gratitude to God. And so she, when she thought nobody was watching, she races out, drops it in there and Christ acknowledges her gift, while he didn't, and the others who were coming in for show. It's really about a heart of gratitude to God. That's what it's about. And it's, it's up to you. God doesn't tell you, doesn't tell us how much, but, uh, but just, you know, just to, just to give the opportunity to express our gratitude to Him. Number 11. How is it, how is the rest of the work of the church to be supported? Deuteronomy sixteen seventeen. Every man shall what? Give as he is how? Able according to the blessing of the Lord your God. As he is able. God's not going to ask you to give more than you can give. That would be unreasonable, wouldn't it? Would we do that to our own kids or to other people? God doesn't do that to us. It's just as, as we are able. Let's look at the note right below 11. An offering is any amount given in what addition to the tithe. Thus, all other work of the church is supported by a free will offering. In order to carry the everlasting gospel to all the world, the church needs financial support. The tithe supports the gospel ministry of the church. Offerings support the educational, medical, humanitarian, and missionary work of the church. Each member is encouraged to divide his offerings between the world needs, the local church needs. Uh, excuse me, the world's needs, the local conference needs, and the local church needs. And so, the offerings that are given, for example, in this church, support the ministry of this church, not just the air conditioning and the lights, but also the, the materials in the Sabbath schools, it, it also, uh, the materials for any type of outreach, and I understand uh, we just had a beautiful and massive dental work uh, here, and how many people finally came to that in this community? Any numbers? 207 from the community came for that dental uh, uh, clinic that was offered for the community. And, and though it was free to the community, it wasn't free to this church. Isn't that right? And so, but there was no one person who fronted that money. It was the whole church pulling together that made that possible. Isn't that true? And that's what the offering is for and how it works. Let's take a look at number 12. How much... How much should we give as offering? 2 Corinthians 9, 7. So let each one give as he what? Purposes in his heart and not grudgingly. You know, God blesses a cheerful giver. Isn't that true? Do you realize that if you gave $2 million and you did it grudgingly, God can't bless it? God can do more with two pennies given in gratitude than he could with two million that isn't given in gratitude. And so as we're giving, when we reach the port that we're no longer excited about how much we're giving, God says, stop there. We're good. Does that make sense? Yeah. Purpose in his heart, not grudgingly, not at all. He can't give a grouchy, he can't bless a grouchy gift. Let's look at 13. What does Jesus say about giving? Acts 20, 35. It is more what? Blessed to give than to Received. You know, when I first started hearing about this, it just turned everything I had always understood on its head. I always thought the more you got and kept, the better off you were. But God is saying, it doesn't work like that. Give, and I will bless you with more. We can't outgive God. I think a real good illustration of that you find in, uh, in Israel You'll see uh, uh, two bodies of water that really separated the land of Israel. And up here, does anybody remember what that was called? These are bodies of water. (laughs) It probably doesn't look like that. This is Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Does anybody know what this is down here? Is the Dead Sea. I don't know if you can see that. I'll step aside. Is the Dead Sea. And uh, does anybody know what this river in between is called? is the Jordan. And so what happens is the Dead Sea or or the, the Sea of Galilee is smaller than the Dead Sea and you'll notice that the water from Galilee goes to the Dead Sea but the water in Galilee water level doesn't drop just because it's moving through. And you'll see the Dead Sea is much larger but nothing lives in the Dead Sea because the water doesn't flow through it just hangs on to all of it. There's no life in it. It's a, that's why it's dead. But the Sea of Galilee is teeming with life. That is just an illustration in nature that it is in giving that we are blessed. Something else too, you know, the human heart after the fall of Adam and Eve is naturally selfish and self-centered. Part of God's program to change our hardened hearts is this giving plan. And, and, in, and it's part of, of softening that heart that has been hardened by sin. It's part of his work of transforming your life and mine. I can tell you, you know, I, I, I'm not Bill Gates, but I'm so grateful for the monies that we are able to give. I know Suelen and I, I have been giving money to a work that's taking place in Cuba. Um, there is, uh, right now through COVID, they tremendous heartache. We have, there are Bible workers out there that are living off white bread and mango juice, but they are faithfully going forward and sharing the gospel in that communist country. You know, they don't have Walmart, but they're not whining. They're going to work. And, and, and under, during the lockdown, they were actually quarantined in their house. And by that, I mean, you couldn't mow your lawn. You'd end up in a Cuban jail. But these people at night were sneaking out to their neighbors' yard, homes, opening the Bible to them and giving them Bible studies. They were sneaking out at night and baptizing folks. People were saying, "We don't want to wait till this lifts. The, the, This thing lifts because I may die before that. I want to be baptized right now." And they were out there being baptized, committing their lives to God. You know, I tell you, friends, there's something much bigger and better than living for self. Isn't that true? Much bigger and what a what a privilege and an honor and how often it will how awesome it will be once this deal's over and we finally come home to and with Jesus and have souls walk up to us and say, I'm here because you gave. The missionary knocked on my door because you financed him. I wouldn't be here otherwise. Thank you. How cool will that be? That will be absolutely Amazing Number 14. What promise does God give to those who faithfully return their tithe and give their offerings? Malachi 3.10. And prove me now. What is another word for prove? Help me here. Test me. And prove me now. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a what? a blessing that, they will be, that there will not be room enough to receive it. God is, God is basically saying, you can't outgive me. Trust me. You take care of my work, I'll take care of yours. Isn't that awesome? It reminds me of a story actually I came across years ago. It was an incident that happened back in the 50s. There was a, uh, a farmer in South Africa who, uh, you know, he, didn't, he wasn't a rich, I mean, <laughs> who has ever met a rich farmer, right? But he, he was able to put food on the table and take care of his family. And, uh, but he lived from year to year on, on his crops, he didn't have enough to just live for two or three years. He needed every harvest, kept him going for the next year. Well, in this particular year, uh, the farms in this area in South Africa were in big trouble because it was, they, there was a locust uh, swarm that was coming. And have, you, have any of you ever seen pictures of when a locust swarm goes by? I mean, to tell you, if your car was painted green, it's, the paint's gone. I mean, anything green, they will just take it with them. And, uh, and everything could be as green, like everything you see green out here. And, you know, if, if, if of a locust swarm came by, uh, it would be all brown the next day. I mean, if you did a before and after picture, it would blow your mind. And this man was really heart sick because he knew he was going to lose his farm. So he was looking out at his farm knowing that by that evening the swarm would be there and he had his Bible with him. Open your Bible to the book of Malachi chapter 3. And I'm just going to read these words to you. I'm going to back up a little bit and pick up in verse 8 of Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And these are the people of God who are answering the Lord with that question. God answers in tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse. In other words, God can't bless them. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Now the appeal, bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and prove me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there will be not room enough to receive it. Now this man was a Christian and this man had returned tithes and offerings. Look at the next verse. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And that farmer stood there outside his home, looking at his farm, he held out his Bible and he put his finger on verse 11 and he said, you promised. To the best of my knowledge, I have been faithful to you. There's nothing I can do with what's coming. I am at your mercy. And as the sun was setting that day, He saw the horizon was black with the swarm that was approaching, and he went into his home. The sun set, and he can hear them all around. So he looked at his wife, and there was nothing left to do but to go to sleep. The next morning, he was laying in bed, and he was just fearful of going out and what he would see. And he sat up in bed, and he can see out the window the surrounding hills, and they were brown. All the green was completely gone, and his heart sank. He dressed, got dressed, he opened the front door, and when he stepped out, what met him blew his mind. All around his property line, everything within it was green, and everything outside of it was brown. They came right up to his property, and they stopped. The real interesting thing is, is that uh, the media... Of course, they had aircrafts that were flying over, filming what had happened, and they saw this island, this little emerald island of green, and so they went and sped over to him and they wanted to know what pesticide he used. And he pulled out his Bible and he showed him Malachi 3. Our God is faithful, very faithful. Let's take a look at question number 15. If we give, what will happen to us? Luke six thirty-eight. Give, and and it will be what? Given to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured what? Back to you. God says, the measure you give, I will return to you. That's a, that's a challenge, isn't it? You know there are a lot of people going through heartache right now. We're not, but we will be soon. And uh, what if God only helped us to the degree that we helped others? Are you with me? That, that it's absolutely amazing. It's something we need to be thinking about. And the other thing is, is God isn't going to turn us into Bill Gates, because if he did, probably every last one of us here would be lost. We couldn't handle that much cash. And not that there's anything wrong with, ha- with having money, but... Not everybody can handle it. <laughs> Isn't that true? And the congregation said. All right. You got kind of quiet on me out there. Uh, but the Lord may bless you with, by maintaining your health. Right? You don't spend money on your health. You don't spend it. Maybe he can make, he'll make your clothes last longer, your car last longer. The Lord has his ways to take good care of us. Isn't that right? He knows what's best for us. I remember when Swell and I first entered ministry... We literally had more money going out than we had coming in. And so Ellen is our chief financial officer at home. And she was uh, paying the bills one night. She said to me, you need to come over here something's not right. And I, at the time, I had just come out of working for First Union Mortgage Corporation. So me and numbers worked really well. I did a lot of accounting work. And back in those days, I can just fire off. I can just, I can't do that now. If you don't use it, you lose it. So anyway, I sat down and she was saying, you know, I don't understand. We got more money going out than we have coming in, yet we have money left over. And I said, well, okay, well, that doesn't sound right. So I sat down and started crunching the numbers and I I ended up the same way. I did it over and over and over. And finally, I looked at her and I said, we're returning tithe, right? She said, yeah. And I said, well, that's it. God is taking care of us. And one of the things that's very important in doing, in returning tithe to the Lord is before you write, we we write in our house any bill, we write the bill first out to him. Don't leave it for last, because the devil's going to knock on you. He's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, "Wow, maybe you shouldn't do it this month. Wait till next. Don't give the devil a... Don't open the door for him. Write that check first. Get it out of the way. God will take care of you. Isn't that true? Absolutely amazing. Um, I often, in fact, just this last week, I was on my way to um, uh, a wedding and... We had a passenger in a car, and passenger asked me, do you tithe on net or on gross? And you know how that rolls, right? You know, we tithe on the gross for this reason. The money that goes to the state that pays for the fire department, that pays for the police department, that pays for the roads, I benefit from. Does that make sense? And so we make the choice to pay from the gross. Not only that, but when I want a blessing from God, I'd rather have a gross one than a net one. Just a thought. Let's take a look at number 16. What kind of giver does God like? Second Corinthians 9, 7 says God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because it's a response of love and gratitude. Can you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, yeah, here's a gift for you. I mean, what's that? It's like, no, eh, don't worry, just hang on to it yourself. I really don't want your gift, <laughs> right? It's a cheerful giver that we want to be. We want to acknowledge God's goodness. He is the giver of all. We cannot outgive him. Number 17, does life really consist of the possessions of things? Luke twelve fifteen. For one's life does what? Not consist of the abundance of the things he possesses. Friends, it's all passing away. It's all going to burn up. Every last bit of it. Let's save as many people as we can. I remember, you know, how many of us here have ever seen a hearse drive down the road? How many of you have ever seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer? Can't take it with you. I remember there was an actor... Robert Shaw, do you remember him? British actor. He was wealthy, and I can't remember what it was, if it was cancer he was dying of, but I I remember some of his last words. He says, all this wealth, and it can do nothing for me now. But yet, God has prepared for us a city, and the roads are made of gold. Our father's a king. He is rich. And we have a home waiting for us. Let's take as many with us as we can, friends. What do you say? Number 18. <clears throat> Should a Christian be worried about having the vital necessities of life? Luke 12, through 30. And he, Jesus, said to his disciples, therefore I say to you, what's the next two words? Let's stop right here. You know, we see a lot of crazy stuff happening. We can tell that our world is on the verge of a monumental crisis. Isn't that true? The words of Jesus right now are more meaningful to us than they have ever been. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or or about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them of how much more value are what you than the birds? And which of you by worrying can add one cubit to a stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these, if then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe who? You, O you of little faith. And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink nor have an anxious mind for all these things the nations of the world seek after and your father what? Know. knows that you need these things we, we have a heavenly father that's watching over us friends number 19 what should the Christian seek first? Matthew 6 33 but seek what? first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? All these things shall be added unto you. So if we make God's business first in our lives, God will take care of our business. That's what he will do. I remember one time when we were uh, in Mexico, we had taken a church group, and we had a lot of youth with us, And I had taught the group, I said, anytime you run into a problem, and and we were in Chiapas, Mexico. We were talking about this earlier at lunch today. We were in Chiapas. And um, and I taught the group, I said, look, we're going to run into problems because we're going to do God's work and the devil's not going to like it. So we're going to run into problems. I said, don't make it worse by trying to fix the problem yourself and then pray. The moment you see a problem, pray. And then go to work. (laughs) Reverse the order. Pray as though it all depends on him. Work then as though it all depends on you. We saw God do amazing. We watched God change the weather before our eyes three different times from, from, from praying. I can just tell you amazing stories. But my youth saw that. And towards the end of the trip, they came to me and they said, Pastor, we have a question. I said, what's that? As we've been working here, why is it that God has done these miracles and worked for us so mightily here, and he doesn't do it back in the States? I said, very simple, friend, because back in the States, we're not working for him like we're doing here. But if you work for him there, you will see him do miracles for you. He will do it. My friends, we have a world to win, and the sanctuary shares with us God's plan to finance that work and get us out of here and save as many souls as possible. How many want to be part of that? Amen. So let's take a look here at our final question. You know, at the very end of all this, I just want to hear Jesus say to me two things. Well done. It'll be worth whatever we have to go through down here. Well done. And then, welcome home. <laughs> your response to Jesus. Is it your desire to be a part of God's remnant people and to support the worldwide proclamation of the everlasting gospel with the gifts, as meager as they may seem to you, our loving master has given you? Is that something you would like to do, friends? Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, We're so thankful for what you were willing to give up for us, that we can inherit the riches of heaven. Lord, I pray that you will set our hearts on fire with a burden for souls. We thank you that you provide us funds. Those monies that you give us through the work you give to us is not only to meet our needs and the needs of people around us in distress, but it's also to further your work so that others can have the opportunity of knowing you as Savior and friend. Oh, Father, when the devil tempts us, I pray that you will lift up before us the cross of Jesus, that we may be reminded of of all that we are indebted to. Thank you again for a love that just wouldn't let us go and help us by your grace to be faithful to you to the end. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen and amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.